But I also think the issue of gender-based violence transcends beyond the mind gates. Mm. So while the minds can mechanistically do the right things within our premises, because gender-based violence is so entrenched mm. in our culture, in our communities, mm. it's going to be important that we show good corporate citizenship mm. and we extend what we do to outside our gates as well. Hi. I'm Rochelle Boeta, and welcome to Deep Insights. In this episode, our multimedia journalist, Klingiwe Motohung, chats to Nozipo Dlamini, the president of SACMA, about sustainable mining, effective leadership, and health and safety in mining. Let's join the discussion. Hello and welcome to Deep Insights. My name is Klingiwe Motohung, and thank you for tuning in. We are nearing the end of Women's Month in South Africa and my guest today really embodies the multifaceted roles that a woman can play. She was born in Bedal in Bumalanga province and raised in Soweto. These are the two very significant mining landscapes in South Africa. In addition to her bachelor degree in mining engineering, she holds an honors and master's degree in technology management from the University of Pretoria. She also presented her master's thesis at the Pigment Conference in Silicon Valley, United States, California. She is a Golden Key Honor member and she's on the 2022 Mail and Guardian 200 Young South Africans List cohort. She is currently a Technical Services Manager at Tungela Resources Limited and has led several open cost mines in the group. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome the first woman president of the South African Colliery Managers Association, a beaming gem in the South African mining industry, Nozipo Lamini. Nozipo, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation, Shengiwe. Thank you for honoring me, I suppose, mm -hmm. in this Women's Month and I look forward to the, to the interview. Mm. You were born in Betang. Yeah. Raised in Soweto. Yes. Briefly tell us about your background, your yeah. upbringing, and of growing up in these two very significant places shaped your interest in mining. Sure, yeah. So Betal is a small town in Mbumalanga, um, surrounded by coal mines in the area. So I was born there, so you kind of get a feel of the mining landscape. You know, your neighbor's husband works in the mines, and the father, your friend's father's work in the mines. However, I didn't spend a lot of time there. I grew up in Soweto. And for me, Soweto did not necessarily shape my interest in mining, but I think what I was exposed to in Soweto uh, served me in that I became a better person in, in mining. So as an example, Soweto is a melting pot of different cultures and languages and how people decide to live their lives. And Going into the industry, I am proud to say I speak nine of the 11 official languages. Not very good at them, <laughs> um, but I, I can communicate with someone in a way that they feel they are seen, they are heard, they are respected. So when I went into mining, I didn't have to learn Fanaga law because I could communicate with anyone in their language. Uh, I think so, which makes you resilient. It makes you agile, you know, because you're growing up in a, in a city, a very busy city, so it also makes you quite agile. Um, I think there's a lot of infrastructure and development and uh, things for the youth to do, which I feel, you know, places like Betal and small rural towns like Betal could, could gain a lot from. Um, I think you, you also get street smart growing up in, in, in Soweto. Uh, you, can, you can smell mashaya shaya from a distance. 
So that kind of background helps you and builds you to become a more alert, but uh, smarter person. So when I went into mining, I feel like all those characteristics served me. But I have been reflecting a lot about my upbringing in Petali more recently. Um, if, you, if you go back there, the town is still very, not rural in a sense, but I feel there's still a lot of development that can go into it. And I feel it ties in with my purpose as, 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 a, as a professional in mining to say, how can we as corporate citizens give back to the towns that are, you know, serve us, they are the labor inputs to the mines. So I have been reflecting about what we can do in small rural areas like Petali, who are a key part of the mining, yeah, the mining industry. Mm -hmm. Let's now go to Soweto. Mm. Um, I watched you at a, a, a call seminar about a few months ago, and you spoke about how you were raised by your grandmother yes. in Soweto. Yes. What are some of the key and very significant lessons that she's taught you? Sure. Autonomy. I think that's a key one. My grandmother was forward for her time. Um, she, she always brought it back to me. So if you wanted to do something, she would communicate with you about your decision and the impact of that decision. Um, so she, she, she was, yeah, she was ahead of her time in terms of how she raised me. I'm a lot more progressive um, because of how she raised me. Not a very strong traditionalist upbringing. It's one where I had autonomy to do what I wanted. Obviously, we spoke about the the consequences of what I wanted. And I think when you're given that freedom, it also, <laughs> it actually holds you, it, it, yeah, you self-correct um, and you self-regulate a lot. And you're self-accountable as well. Um, and, and she taught me to be open-minded, hey? To, to be open-minded to how people were living their lives and to be welcome to that and to be open to that. I think that has also served me quite a lot, but she also had a sense of humility about it. And when you work in mining, Ego does not serve you. Um, it's you, you go into places where you're not the expert in, in the field, but because you bring humility to the conversation and you're willing to learn and, and, and to try out new things, um, that, that quite serves you. So she's been an incredible um, role model in my life, and I'm, I'm grateful for that upbringing. I don't think I would have gotten the, the same kind of upbringing being raised uh, in another time. Yeah. It's so amazing how our parents or grandparents or guardians have that spirit to instill values that we will need later on in life. It's incredible. It's incredible. And we can only hope we do the same thing for, you know, for our kids and teach them the same, the same kind of lessons. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's rewind to 15 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Fresh out of varsity, you joined Cecil Mining as, as a PIT mm. and how were you received? And do you see the difference in the reception of women between then and now? Yeah. Mm. The concept of women in mining 15 years ago was still fairly new. I think when I, I joined Sasol Mining, they had just gotten their first group of 50 women. So there was a lot of readiness that needed to come with it. And that's what we've been working on in the last 15 years. Things like change houses for women, you know, not having sufficient change houses, not having enough ablution facilities ablution facilities underground were, were a challenge. Uh, the po personal protective equipment, our PPE, the overalls we wear, which were designed for, for men in mind. Um, the, the policies, uh, the companies now needed to start thinking about uh, maternity policies and gender-based violence policies. So that work only started happening when there were already women in industry. And, and that's that actually tells you why it's important to have women for advocacy, for um, being input to policy changes. Mm -hmm. um, 
so it was still very fresh when I joined 15 years ago. I think the women that are coming into industry now, things have improved quite a lot because the work has been happening over the last, and it's not just in my 15 years, but I think even the women that came before us over the years, over the years that um, we, there's been changes in policies, there's gender-based violence policies, there's sexual harassment policies, um, there's enablement in terms of hotlines for reporting incidents, there's personal development growth, there's mentorship, career mentorship and coaching for young, for young professionals coming into the industry. So a lot more work has been done to make the industry more an enabling environment for women coming in, enabling an inclusive environment, you're right, yeah. Now, let's talk about leadership. Your character and accolades seem to be leading more towards the leadership side. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your current role at Tungela Resources. Um, what does a technical services manager do and what attracted you to the organization? So I, I had spent um, close to 10 years at Sasol Mining, incredible company, uh, a lot of personal development growth, a lot of career growth that happened um, while I was at Sasol Mining. Um, within Sasol Mining, I had been in, 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 in technical roles where I was a miner shift boss, mine overseer, and they also had a program on Lin Six Sigma Black Belt, and I joined the program and I trained as a Lin Six Sigma Black Belt. So let's say I'm a... Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's business improvement principles and looking at a business as a as a whole and not just your small, um, your small area that you're responsible for. Um, and, and, but Sasol Mining is also only underground coal mines. And I had this yearning to be a holistic, well-rounded mining engineer. And I wanted to get open cast experience. And at that stage, uh, Anglo-American had a number, it, it used to be Anglo-American, had a number of operations in the Whitbank area um, and through my involvement at SACMA, I had started talking to people at Anglo-American and other open cast mining, com um, and that's the power of, of networking, hey? Um, and I had an interest in learning uh, open cast mining, and, and what I loved about their mind is that they, they brought all the various challenges of what it takes to run an open cast mine, you know, spontaneous combustion challenges and uh, water management. So all of those things are skills that you want to learn as a mining engineer, how you navigate those kind of challenges, um, and still remain productive. Um, one of the things that also attracted me to, to the organization is they had quite a, a fair amount of women representation. I remember I was in my office in my previous company when the announcement of their first female GM came. And I was like, you know, so those things matter to companies. And I don't think they really understand how much it matters when we start seeing ourselves yeah. in, in their senior leadership structures. Um, and, and one of the colleagues we had at SACMA who was uh, a senior leader in, in, within Tungela, um, when we used to have our SACMA meetings, he would always enforce that we have them at the community, at the local community, because it helps the community to, to develop its, its income stream for the community. So we would host meetings in Ochis, as an example. And all of that, that, that makes you feel like you're part of a bigger impact to society as well. Um, so when I joined the company, I was, I was quite... I was quite happy uh, that I get to experience open cast mining, learn from the challenges that they had and see what I can do to, to be of benefit to, to that. And, and yeah, I, I, I've loved my time there. So a technical services manager, uh, let's call it the super superheroes of, of mining. Okay. Because you get the mining engineers and we normally like to stay in our technical fields, which is minor, shift boss, you run a pit. 
but it takes a lot to run a coal mine and there's the design aspects of it um, and there's the assurance aspect of it not just running just take out coal yeah. that's not how it works someone needs to design it someone needs to make sure that everything is set up correctly you can run it safely mm -hmm. there's compliance to the plan mm -hmm. and then you come back and do the assurance mm -hmm. to make sure and we you know rectify mm -hmm. the path if we're not in the right path mm -hmm. and that's what technical services does okay. so i currently have eight official departments and a few other kids yeah. <laughs> um, but that would be your rock engineering your geology survey business improvement so your your industrial engineers yeah. Mining engineers, which do the short-term, medium-term, and the long-term planning of a mine. Mm -hmm. um, they do the scheduling of where the panels will be, mm -hmm. will be set up. Ventilation, occupational hygiene and environment. Mm -hmm. The underground safety environment. So to, to become a holistic mm -hmm. leader in mining, and that's general manager or even CEO, mm -hmm. you need to understand the total broadness of what it right. takes to, right. to, to run a mine. Mm -hmm. It can't just be taking out coal. Mm -hmm. You need to understand what are the environmental considerations, what applications and permits you need for specific things. So my experience in technical services has allowed me to understand the broader aspects of what it takes to, to run a successful, a successful mine. And if you look at our, our company and our, my, my specific mine now, it's been one of the most productive in the country. We always have millionaire sections year after year, very consistent in their... In their um, in their output and the productivity. And it takes a lot to design for, for that kind of, of, of place where it's very high performance. So I think I've, I've learned quite a lot in the last three, four years as well. Um, how do you really design for, for success while you balancing everything else? You're making sure that you comply to safety standards, comply to environmental occupational hygiene mm -hmm. standards. So your role is, is, looks more at a holistic approach of the entire mining operation. Yes, and an integrator. Mm. A lot of stakeholder engagements ah. with the outside world, the DMRE, mm. the Department of Water Affairs, yeah. um, you know, environmental regulators. Mm. So it's, it's, it's quite broad in itself in that it goes beyond the mine gates. Sure. It's all the other stuff that you need to do to run sure. a successful mine. You mm. know? Absolutely. Let's talk about SACMA, the South African Colliery Managers Association. You're the first woman to hold this presidential position. Yeah. Uh, in the organization's 44 years of, mm. of existence, how did you come, how did that come about actually? And, and, and elaborate on the journey towards you being in this position. So I, I joined SACMA in 2013, if I'm correct. And my then general manager, Gerrit van der Verstehen, was the incoming president. So he made sure that all his young graduates <laughs> were part of SACMA. And I remember attending the very first meeting. It was his inauguration at the Johannesburg Country Club. And when I got there, it was such a wealth of experience and expertise and wisdom from all the SACMA members, you know, people I'd looked up to in industry. Uh, <laughs> Welko Ace, as an example, who interviewed me for my bursary. They were in an association where they could learn from each other, where they could leverage on their knowledge and, and, and expertise for the improvement of the total industry. So already from that first meeting, I was hooked, you know, and I got to meet, you know, people I was at university with, which I hadn't seen since we graduated. So you also, you know, formed sisterhood and, 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 and camaraderie because you now 
can always pick up a call and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? And that's the power and the strategy of SACMA. It is that we are a group of professional mining engineers or managers in office, mm -hmm. because you don't necessarily have to be a mining engineer, but a manager in office, who learn from each other. So best practice sharing, um, learning from incidents, learning from you know high performance cultures, what we can implement, um, and, and, and keeping all the new knowledge and what's coming out in industry at the helm and access to our members. So it brings that. So when I joined in, in 2013, um, I just wanted to learn and I wanted to serve. And it's been a journey of serving. It's been a journey of how best can we do this? How best can I improve this? Um, so while it was not intentional that I wanted to be president, by serving, I think that that comes across. You say this person wants to serve the industry as a whole. Um, so in 2015, I became the, uh, I don't know if I was the first vice chairperson, but I became the vice chairperson of the Northern region, which is all the Mpumalanga mines. Okay. Uh, and being a chairperson means you, presentations, meetings that you have, you bring subject matter experts, so you need to stay on top of what's happening in your industry and ensure that you bring that knowledge across to the members, the latest incidents that have happened. What can we learn from these incidents? What should the members as they leave the meeting take away from, from this? So I was in the vice chairperson role for two years and then chairperson role for two years. And even then, it was just constantly serving the industry, putting my hand up, how can I get more involved in um, policy making, in regulations, in mine overseer certificates of competency, in mine managers uh, certificate of competency. Because what SACMA does is that it also shapes the industry in which we, we work in. Uh, and that's, that's the power of it. We've got very experienced council members who've been leaders in industry. And it's about how do we shape the industry for safety of our employees, for professional development of our uh, managers coming into, coming into office or our managers in office. Um, and when I became president, wow, it was <laughs> incredible moment incredible moment. Uh, it's, it's, Asakma has got such a strong line of precedence, 44, 43 years or, you know, very senior people that have led successful companies that have been looking up to all my careers. So to join the ranks of those incredible individuals, to be trusted with that responsibility, to say you are now at the helm of taking the industry forward, you're responsible for you and your council are responsible to, to address what are the burning platforms of industry right now and how you navigate your year as the president and as a council. It's, it's incredibly honorable. And one of the biggest changes that we've done in this year is we've brought in a strategic trust that talks to ESG and sustainability because the manager in office is not just operational now. There are environmental factors and environmental protection that comes with being a manager in office. There are social issues that, um, that affects the manager in office and it's got a bigger influence on shaping what's happening in, in, in society. So, it, I, and I'm quite proud that this is something that we've brought because it's now a burning platform um, in industry to say, how do we as managers in office become champions and advocates for society and, and the environment and not just we mine in coal, <laughs> you know? So yeah, Sakma is, incredible organization. And I think later we'll talk about what we do in terms of safety for our employees. But yeah. Well, that's so impressive. And, 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 as, and as I've said, it's so honorable for you to be trusted with such a role 
um, for you to be able to stand on the shoulders of mining pioneers in South Africa. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely amazing. How important is it that not only should we celebrate women in mining, but for their occupation, but also for, the, for their occupation in leadership positions? Mm. What do they bring to their table? That's a great question. Uh, it's an interesting question in how you phrase uh, it about what do they bring to the table? Because there's such incredible women leaders in industry. Um, Dr. Nombasa that you interviewed a couple of weeks ago, Mbumi at, at Kumba, um, Nolita, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting, oh, Natasha as an example. And, and even in companies where I've worked with, there's been great female leaders. So, and, and it's never a question about them being a woman, but it's about what do they bring from a leadership perspective. So the question is, what do leaders bring to the table? But with that said, and I think for me, that's a call to action to say we need to normalize more women leaders. So it's not about the women leaders. It's just about leadership. But I know that that's in a romantic, ideal world. But it's important that we celebrate women because it forms as an example and as a something for us to look up to. I remember a couple of years ago when I was being interviewed for my current role, they asked me, so where do you see yourself in the future? And I said straight to the top, because back then there were no examples that I can, I can voice today. And I wanted to be that example. I wanted people to open an integrated report one day and see my face in one yeah. of those integrated reports. And now I get to live that. I get to open the Kumba integrated report. I'm like, Bobby, yeah. you know? Um, I see myself, it's, it's representation. So it, we celebrate them so that people know that you can strive, you can thrive in, in the mining industry. There's examples of, that you can see yourself in these women. They are mothers, they are incredible leaders. Um, you see yourself in their leadership journeys and, and the challenges that they faced. So it's important that we still get to celebrate Women's Month and we celebrate them. But I do hope in the future that it will be so normal. We normalize having women in mining and we normalize having women leaders that it stops being. And yeah, the first woman, the, first the woman. only woman. Yeah. And I think it was Dr. Numbasa that was saying we need to hold ourselves accountable to pulling other women um, to, to come up the ranks as well. So that's a purpose. Hey? That's, a, that's a guiding principle to say, how do we bring more women so it stops being about the gender, but starts being about just leadership. Because you have to admit, in their own right, mm. they've done incredible earned things it. for that. They've earned it. Earned it. They've earned it. Absolutely. And yet we still see the woman before we see the, the, the work that they've done. Mm. You know, and the work they've done should speak for itself. Mm. But, but let's bring more women in. Uh, and, and then it stops being an issue, hey? Wow. I love that. Yeah. I love it. And I totally agree with it. So off air, we made reference to Cheryl Sanders' book, yes. Lean In. Lean In, yeah. So in the book, Cheryl argues that internal obstacles, mm. that's the imposter syndrome, yeah. the voice that tells you you're not enough, you can't do this yet, you're not yet there, you can't, you can't get there, that, that little voice. She says that um, this voice is the one that holds women back from pushing limits. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree with this? And if so, how important is self-belief? Sure. I do. I think we, we all at some level struggle with, with confidence issues and certain things. Like you wanted me to be on video now and I was like, ah. yeah, it was a struggle <laughs> to get me here, yeah. I have to admit. Yeah. So 
Cheryl is, is, is such an incredible person. She was COO of Facebook. Yeah. And Facebook, from when it was like a social media platform to mm -hmm. Facebook, yeah. Meta, the conglomerate mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. um, and I look up to her. And her book is such an incredible book and a call to action for us women mm -hmm. uh, to strive to be at the top of our careers. And why she says it's important is so that we can create critical mass, mm -hmm. so that we can be a representation, mm -hmm. so that we can start advocating and changing policies um, and changing practices yeah. and enabling and, and creating an, an, an enabling environment for women to thrive. Mm -hmm. So it's a call to action. It's a bigger purpose as well. It's a call to action. So each time I struggle with confidence or I see other women struggling with confidence, like, yeah, we are, there's work to be done. Mm -hmm. We need to fill up these tables. Mm -hmm. We need to fill up roles. We need to fill up so that we can create environment for more women mm -hmm. to come into the industry. But I think with that, confidence is always going to be a big issue um, for women because the world, you know, the internal barriers like self-confidence and imposter syndrome are influenced by the external barriers as well. Sure. Gender stereotypes, our home structures, um, you know, policies, policies mm -hmm. the work environment. Mm -hmm. So while these are changing, there's also an element of doing the inner work and the self-work. Mm -hmm you know, the personal uh, development. Mm. And I think in the first few years of your career, um, if you focus on gaining the depth and the breadth mm. or, and the expertise, mm. you, then you know you've ticked the technical yeah. box, yeah. you know, and you're continuously working on your leadership skills through coaching, mentoring, uh, communication skills, yeah. self-reflection, then you tick the leadership box and the next best thing, and then you tick it. So you know you are whole, when you enter any room that you go into. That gives and you a lot of confidence. It gives you a lot of confidence. So for me, you can't question me on my technical expertise. Mm. So when I enter a room already, that's one thing that I know that I can, I can hold a conversation with you. So it's important that we work on gaining the expertise so that we have the confidence yeah. to talk about certain things. Mm. And that takes, that takes time, that takes mentoring, mm. that takes coaching, mm. but it's important that you do the work. Um, what else did I want to say on this? So, so are you saying that getting confidence, for you to have confidence, you need to do the work? You need to do the work. Put in the work. <laughs> and you and learn as you, you do. That's the thing I wanted to say. It's about putting up your hand as well. Mm. I think a lot of times we wait until we are ready mm. to, to take on certain roles and to take on certain projects. Yeah. But a lot of it is learning as you are doing as it. Mm -hmm. Learn as you go. So in, in, on the job, <laughs> uh, failing and and winning and learning, yeah. you know. So it's also important that as young women, we put our hands up yeah. for certain projects and initiatives. And throw if you yourself throw yourself in there, uh, mm -hmm. my, my, my family always uses this, this analogy of which means if you, you want to sell livestock at the market, mm -hmm. whether it's ready or skinny, you might find a, you <laughs> might find a buyer, but you have to go to the market and sell it. And sell it. Mm -hmm. If you don't go to the market, you'll never know, hey? Mm -hmm. So we always like Ingulube Yalube Magete, just just go there and you'll see Ingulube Yaliwa Magete. It can only be turned back at the market. But if it never leaves the farm to go to the market, you might never you might never sell it. And and it's such an incredible one because each time I feel like I can't do this, I can't do this. I'm like, hey, go to the market. So I think as as my call to action, it's for women to raise their hands. Serve. Serve. Put in the hours, put in the the, the, the tears mm. at the end of the day that builds your confidence yeah. 
that builds your expertise and your skills and your leadership and your communication skills so that it's, it's one less thing you need to worry about when you start entering these bigger rooms and these bigger boardrooms because you're like, hey, I've done this. I've, I, can, I can hold a conversation in this. I think another important thing that we, we need to mention about service is that sometimes we expect results from the place that we are serving in and results will not always come from that place. So I think it's important for women to remember that wherever you serve may not be a place of results. Oh yes. Just put in the work. Just credit, credit, credit. An opportunity will come elsewhere where you will get to showcase what you've been building yeah. on. I, I absolutely love that. And <laughs> one of my favorite books talks about it, your career not being a ladder, mm. but being a jungle gym. Yeah. And the ladder, you know, ladders are very limiting. You're only looking up at the butt of the person mm -hmm. that's ahead of you. When are they going to move? <laughs> But if you start thinking of it as a jungle gym, like I need communication skills, let me do this. I need uh, planning skills, let me take a rotation to the planning department. I need financial acumen skills, let me go to the finance department. Let me slide down. And I've done a few of those in my career where I was senior, you know, and then I was like, I wanna gain business improvement expertise. And I went, went back to the literal desk where I was, uh, a Lin Six Sigma black belt in training mm. for six months. Wow. And I was out of the operations. And for mining engineers, it's unheard of to come out of the operations mm. to go do something else that might not, you know, because you don't see it yeah. helping you go upwards. Mm. But mm. learning those skills, uh, learning how to run a business that has perf consistent performance results, mm. uh, how to identify mm. problems, how to solve problems, mm. how to put the right controls in place. Mm. And I find that I pull from those skills a lot more in my career, the higher up I go. Um, you know, certain rotations to mine closure and rehabilitation. For a mining engineer, we always want to stay in the ranks. You know, we want to stay miner, mining mine manager. But you understanding closure, permitting, the work that goes towards... Like, it helps you even better. It makes you a more well-rounded, holistic CEO in the future because you've got skills very broad skills you understand what you are talking about from what it takes to run a total company so i encourage that i encourage it's collecting the dots so that later on in your life you connect the dots and you might connect them in a different industry altogether you know dr Nombasa was talking about how she was in environmental and now she's in mining but imagine the, the how incredible the skills that she learned and she brought with her coming from an environmental background so I'm a big advocate. I, I always say to my mentees, you must have 18-month growth plans for yourself. What are you learning? I'm busy with the Yale School of Management now on sustainability studies, how to run sustainable uh, corporations. So it's, it's those skills I need to learn for myself to be a more holistic CEO in the future. And I, I think it, it ties in well with having a vision as well. I think if you, if you have a vision of where you want to see yourself, it might not be so clear, but knowing what your aspirations are helps you, it propels you to be in the jungle gym, as you say. Yeah, yeah. because it's the, it's the overarching principle. Mm. It's the overarching vision knowing to that say. that's where I need that's to where go. That's where I go. But mm. to get there... I need to maneuver here. I need there. to get the skills. Mm. I need to learn from this. I need to implement this. Mm -hmm. I need to see this through to, to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wow. I love this. I love this. Do you think that women in the mining industry 
are doing enough to uplift one another. And we talk a lot about external empowerment. We need to be empowered, we need to be given this and that. You know, yeah. it's, it's more about receiving yeah. from, you know, externally. But do we lift as we rise? We, we need to be intentional <laughs> about lifting as we rise. Yeah. And it, again, it's a call to action for women that find themselves in leadership positions. Mm. It's lonely when you're alone. Mm. Um, you can't implement and advocate and have the critical mass when you're alone. Yeah. We need to, and they're incredible women. They are incredibly smart women that join the mining industry and we struggle to retain them. And one of the reasons for not retaining is that we haven't created critical mass. We haven't had the, the pushing voice to change certain policies and to advocate for certain things. So it's, it's, it's important that we form the critical mass, um, that we mentor, that we coach, that we are intentional about holding roles. I've been... I've been um, accused of this many a times. I said, but you, you're holding a role for, I'm like, yes, she'll get ready, mm. but I want to give her the opportunity to, to get in this role. Mm. So I will literally hold the position back okay. and, and say, I'm, I'm reserving this for Usengi, who's going to get her ticket in the next three months. Sure. And, then, and we need to be that intentional. Mm. And part of it is that how do I support Usengi mm. to get that ticket in mm. three months? So that she can grow. Support well. is important, mm -hmm. and 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 identifying um, those women in your in your organization, and it should be all. It should be all, mm -hmm. but identifying them and 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 having discussions about their personal development yeah. growth, yeah. what they see for themselves, mm -hmm. aligning what they see for themselves with the company goals, mm -hmm. and what's how best they can navigate mm -hmm. the industry. We struggle a lot with retention yeah. than we are with recruiting. Mm -hmm. We can recruit, but somewhere there's a gap. Mm. Mm. And the gap is, how do we then create an enabling environment? Mm. And we shouldn't look at it from an empowering position. No. Because they're already empowered. Mm. They come extremely competent. Mm. Mm -mm. But how do we create an enabling environment for them to thrive in this, in this company? Mm. And us as women play a bigger role mm. in, in holding those hands and bringing as many of mm. us up as possible so we can create the critical mass. No, I, I totally agree with you. Tools are very important. We need tools yeah. that will enable us to do the work. You wear so many hats. You're very young, I think. <laughs> you're a wife, you're a mother, um, you're all at work at Tungela, SACMA president, speaker, mentor, as you've mentioned, and all your other personal ventures. Mm. And you seem to be thriving in all of them thriving yeah doing very well in all of them i've watched you <laughs> how do you strike a balance and and what makes this all possible I, I always have this conversation in my head about a harmonious balance versus a harmonious juggle i think mine is that of a harmonious juggle mm. harmonious in that i don't let the important things fall 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 off from the juggling um but i think also we've kind of been conditioned to believe that we can't do it all. If you think about representation of successful women in media, believe. we believe, we're told that we can't, we can't do it all. Mm. And, and I'm not saying we can't do it sure. all. Mm. I'm saying there's a juggle involved. Mm. There's prioritizing ac according to your values yeah. and what, you, what is important to you mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and delegating mm. the rest of the stuff. You know, because also media tells us we should do it all, but we, sh 
we can't you'll be extremely exhausted if you if you had to do it all um, but I also think there's a, a role to be played by our supportive structures you can't do it without support you can't do it without a, an extended support from your family from your company uh, from the spouse um, Cheryl says the biggest career decision a woman can make is the person she marries so do you have, how do we make our partners real partners mm. so that when you are leaning into your work and thriving, they then lean into the family and they thrive in the family, in the family structure as well. So it's a harmonious balance, uh, harmonious juggle. <laughs> it's a harmonious juggle, but the, the important stuff is that I keep the important things, the main things, the main things. Um, I, I also started prioritizing quality over quantity. Because you could spend a lot of time, but is it really quality time? So with the kids now, we started prioritizing one-on-one -on -one dates. Okay. So yesterday's evening, I was on a one-on-one -on -one date with one of my twin girls. Um, for three hours, she only had mommy time. And that's important because in the midst of all the craziness, you, you miss the individual approach to, to parenting as well. So quality over quantity. Delegate what you can delegate. Um, buy support where you need to buy support. <laughs> you know, outsource support where you need to pay for it if you have to. So it's not doing it all, but just finding that 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 harmony in all of it. But I cannot advocate more for workplaces that are conducive and enabling for young mothers, um, and also home structures that are conducive as well for, for real partnerships where we're sharing in the partnership of, of, of the duties. Wow. I like that you mentioned this one-on-one -on -one date that you had with, with, with one of your twin daughters. Yeah. Um, motherhood has a way of revealing certain attributes <laughs> about us yeah. that we, we had not been aware of. What have you learned about yourself through motherhood? Shoo. I think my, my outlook, even on my career, changed when I was expecting my twin girls. Um, because I started asking myself, is, is this world a, a, an enabling, conducive, safe world for them to grow in? So I struggled psychologically um, with, 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 with bringing two girls into the world. But I also felt a bigger calling towards me changing this world and influencing this world to change so that it's a safer, healthier, um, more enabling world for them. So that's, 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 that's how motherhood has changed me. Um, the girls particularly, I wanted them to see me thrive and, and strive to be at the pinnacle of all that I do so that I can start being in rooms where I can advocate for more equal workplaces for a more equal world. So it's a bigger calling now. It's that, it's how do I change this world so that my daughters are better off growing and being safer and thriving in, in this world, yeah. Now let's move on to health and safety in the mining industry. Gender-based violence mm. exists everywhere, yeah. even in mining. Yeah. Women are reluctant in reporting, fearing to be victimized. Mm. Riff, um, the, there's a time I had an interview with um, 
Angle Platz CEO Natasha Fillion. Yes. And she referred to a mine manager that told her that she preferred wearing a single piece PPE mm-hmm. as opposed to a two piece one. And when Natasha asked, but why? I mean, we've made strides for you to, for mm. women to get two piece, you know, so that it's easier for, for you know, ablution services. Yeah. Why do you want a single piece? And then the woman's, the mine manager says, um, it, it's going to be difficult for someone trying to violate me sure. if I'm wearing a one, a one piece, piece PPE. That, is that was gut wrenching. That is hectic. Is the mining industry doing enough to curb gender-based violence? Sure. I think the companies, um, they're busy with the right things. Um, There's policies on gender-based violence. Do they come to fruition? I think so. Um, And it's such a multi-layered question, right? Firstly, from a mechanistic point of view, mm. there's the reporting hotlines. Mm. There's the structures to say when something is reported, how does it get investigated? Mm. There's policies. We have panic buttons for the women working underground. We've got separate ablution facilities. Um, we've got um, lighting in the parking lots mm. and adequate li- lighting. Mm. Um, we don't get enough reports and that makes me believe that there might be an element of under reporting Mm -hmm. because i don't want to believe that it's such a very ideal it's perfect Mm -hmm. that we don't Mm -hmm. that these things don't happen Mm -hmm. and because i sit in the women in mining structures Mm -hmm. i would be privy to any reports that Mm -hmm. do come Mm -hmm. we don't get enough we don't get enough reports Mm -hmm. um but I also think the issue of gender-based violence transcends beyond the mind gates. Mm. So while the minds can mes- mechanistically do the right things within our premises, because gender-based violence is so entrenched mm. in our culture, in our communities, mm. it's going to be important that we show good corporate citizenship mm. and we extend what we do mm. to outside our gates as well. Mm. And I remember this one organization um, I was at the Minerals Council um, launch of the gender-based violence policy mm. and the one organization spoke about how they realized that women, their own employees, were staying in abusive and unhealthy environments because they couldn't afford to buy homes, mm. to leave those environments. Mm. So they were financially dependent on this individual um, that, was, that was abusing them. Mm. And they said that they were intentional about funding home loans for their women employees. Imagine how empowering that is. Because now she has an option to leave, a power to leave. So I think as as companies, while we do the right kind of stuff internally within our gates, we need to extend that beyond to our local communities as well. Because gender-based violence is so entrenched in, in, in the core of our society that even if we do the right things internally, we're still not changing. It's still rife outside, and nothing stops it from then entering your premises because there's certain beliefs. And I think we can still do a lot more in training, you know, the softer stuff. How do you really change the core beliefs about women and men's role and certain gender stereotypes and patriarchal practices? How do we bring that education into 
our gates, you know? Mm. How do we start creating this environment where women and men are seen as equal even within our premises as well? Sure. So it, it needs us to extend beyond our gates mm. and it needs us to bring the element of how do we train the core? Because we can have the right mechanistic mm. things. Mm. But if you're not changing the core beliefs, mm. what lies under what we can see, yeah. we still we won't. Haven't we haven't gotten to the heart yeah. of it. So there is still a lot of work to be done in that sense. Yeah. Mm. yeah. One of the objective, uh, objectives at SACMA is to promote the sharing of best, safe, and operational practices between stakeholders. Mm -hmm. We have seen a spike of 74 fatalities in the mining industry in 2021. How does SACMA ensure that its members maintain zero harm? Sure. <laughs> And, and, and that's what SACMA is about. It was initially, the initial intent of SACMA was safe working places for our employees, uh, which ties in with the Minerals Council, Kumbulekaya, mm. and each worker returning home unharmed at the end of the day. And what SACMA does is with our 400 plus members, firstly, we've got opportunities for engaging on safety issues. So when an incident comes out, whether it's in another commodity, gold, platinum, yeah. iron ore, mm -hmm. we discuss it in a sense of, can it happen here? Mm -hmm. What are those things we need to look out for within our space? Mm -hmm. So we create that environment and that platform where members can engage with an incident from a point of, what do we need to fix in our working places? Mm -hmm. We've also started, where well, we didn't start it a couple of years ago, we started running the peer review audits, okay. where we put together a team of subject matter experts some SACMA members, but also their ventilation and occupational hygienists from their minds. They are very smart rock engineers, and we form a team that goes into another company's operation to play a role of assurance and audit and best practice sharing and incident identification for them. And it's a, it's a service that SACMA offers to all our members, but it became even more important as there were new players, new smaller minds which may not play by the same rules you know play by the same regulations to say we can then offer this service to you as well to say you can invite this team of subject matter experts into your workplaces and we can help you with identifying and seeing what best practice what you can implement in your work area because it goes beyond just SACMA it goes into the industry it goes beyond just your operation how do we make the industry safer we're looking at the competency of the miners all the way to mine overseer and even uh, mine manager. Yeah. So um, we, we've started picking up that there's cracks within, you know, some of the minor education that is done. And those cracks sometimes do manifest in incidents because of a knowledge gap. Mm. So strategically, our council, we have a, a work stream that's looking at the competency of miners mm. all the way from minor phase to uh, mine overseer phase. Mm. We host mine overseer workshops we sit on the Mine Overseer Commission of, of, of Exams, mm -hmm. Mine Manager Commission of Exams, to say how do we get them ready? How do they understand the depth of their legal appointment? Mm -hmm. Do they understand the law, the regulation, the safety practices mm -hmm. um, that it takes to, to run a, a mine in a safe way? Mm -hmm. um, we being sit responsible for being responsible. For workers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and there's elements of, you know, even environment and society, mm -hmm. but just talking about safety mm -hmm. directly, mm -hmm. That's the power that SACMA has within sharing 
just sharing of incidents, what happened in my operation, please go and look out for this specific thing that may be happening. A good example is we've had a few incidents relating to the PDS, the proximity detection mm -hmm. systems, which have resulted in a few uh, fatalities. Mm -hmm. And it's taking that conversation forward to say, clearly something is broken here. Mm -hmm. We thought we had this technology mm -hmm. that was going to reduce TMM yeah. Yeah. incidents. Yeah. It hasn't yet. But because SAGMA is a broader group of different mm -hmm. companies, we have a collective voice mm -hmm. to say, Let's bring in the suppliers, let's bring in the OEMs, let's bring in the operators. Mm. Let's understand what the challenge is that we're still getting incidents mm. TMM related. Mm. You would also, I think we met at the Rockfall yes. Prevention um, Call to Action for, through the Minerals Council. Mm. Again, our members play a critical role and they stay on top of the latest research mm. on what's happening in, 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 in industry, you know. Uh, all the research that's have been happening within Coltec, we can influence as SACMA what research we need in the mines. If dust is our issue for that mm -hmm. specific period, mm -hmm. the research will be aligned towards how do we uh, allay dust in our underground working environments. Mm -hmm. So it's about staying at the helm of what's happening in your industry, new innovations, mm -hmm. uh, learning from the latest incidents that have happened and implementing those things back in your in your operation. So this is a continuous cycle of learning, finding out what's happening, yeah. what can we improve. That's, that's absolutely commendable. And, and there's maybe to add on that, there's an element of also forming a collaboration with, you know, within the tripartite, with the DMRE. So we do engage a lot with the DMRE. Mm -hmm. We have workshops where our members uh, attend and they can have conversations with the DMRE on regulations, on what they find in the mines, on golden threads mm. that come from the incidents that, that the DMRE is picking up. Mm. And it's incredible that we can have that kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations with the regulators. Mm. And they tell us, listen, look out for this. Yeah. Um, also, you know, through the Trapheitat forums, mm. we can talk to our employee representatives mm. because they also play a critical role in how the employees look at safety and they, they conduct their work um, to ensure that they stay safe at the end of the day. So let's now move on to the light-hearted stuff. You've, you've achieved so much both professionally and personally. Yeah. How has personal development played a role in this? Sure. <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of self-work. Mm. Uh, and by self-work, it's the inner work. It's how do I get better at things? And it's not just from a professional perspective, it's how do I become a better, a better partner? How do I become a better parent? Um, how do I become a better salesperson? Because I, was, I wasn't very good at sales. I was like, I, I'm not a seller. I cannot <laughs> sell anything. And I started listening to podcasts on selling and marketing because those are skills I felt I did not have and I needed to gain. And I tend to flex them now, trying to become a bit more entrepreneurial, <laughs> just to flex the skills that I'm learning. But it's important that you always are aware of your gaps yeah. and, and where you would like to see yourself and what do you need to do yeah. in this gap? Mm. Uh, what skills do you need to be learning? And it doesn't have to be formal education. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I've got a master's, but <laughs> maybe a PhD one day. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be formal education. Mm. I surround myself with people that help me to grow you know if they say you're an average of the five people you spend time with 
who are your five people, you know. Mm -hmm. So I try and surround myself with people that I'm constantly learning from. Mm -hmm. uh, podcasts, mm -hmm. YouTube. Mm -hmm. I watched you on YouTube. <laughs> I listen to your interviews a lot. Mm -hmm. And I learn from, from, from the conversations mm -hmm. that you have with the various... Um, with the various mining CEOs and leaders in, in, in industry. Yeah. I think you, you as a person, you need to have a continuous growth mindset mm. and an acknowledgement that you don't know it all. Mm. If people act at a level that they know, it means if you do better, you can, if you learn more, you can do better. Uh, and for me, it's, it's exactly that. I'm also lucky enough to have a two hour commute mm. when I go to, right. between work yeah. and home. Yeah. And I, I love that time. Not only do I see incredible sunrises and sunsets, mm but it's also my personal development time. Um, I can reflect on my day, I can reflect on decisions I've made, mm. on conversations I've had, and I was like, hmm, you could have done that better. Mm -hmm. um, certain engagements where I felt I, I, maybe I did not give my best, and I have that time, and I hold myself accountable mm. for certain things, but I also get to read a lot, and by reading, I mean listen to audiobooks, okay. I listen to podcasts, I treat all my podcasts like they're my best friends in the room. <laughs> yeah. Just drinking my coffee and, and yeah. you know, and I'm listening to a lot of personal development and parenting and leadership okay. podcasts. Uh, there's one I started listening to now, which is the journey to zero, to net zero and, and sustainability, mm -hmm. which I think it's, it's, it's the next thing that's mm -hmm. coming. How do we run sustainable organizations? So I'm trying to up my skill set and, and talk the language and understand the concepts. So as a person, you always constantly need to be, need to be learning. I, I don't have a lot of TV time, but I have a lot of learning time. I have a lot of learning time and conversations and just talking to my grandmother, like mm. learning humility, mm. learning, it brings you back to yourself. Back to yourself. Mm. So sometimes my two hour commute is me calling Gogo and, and catching up on life, but, and, and listening to her experiences. Um, yeah, it's helped me to, to get to know her a lot better, the decisions she takes, how they shaped me as a person and how, you know, I can, I can implement, but also maybe sometimes unlearn certain yeah. things, mm. you know, so. Mm. It takes a lot of unlearning to start learning new things. To start learning mm. new things. And the reflecting time I talk about, some of it is actually unlearning. Because you ask yourself, why did I make that specific decision? Mm. What is the belief that I hold about mm. that decision that I had? And once you start unpeeling the onion mm. and, and getting to the core of why you The make, paradigm shifts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You need to understand the inner, inner reason why you did something for you to change, yeah. Who is your current inspiration in the mining industry, male or female, yeah. and why? You're putting me on a spot because I'm, I have to like say all great things about all the... <laughs> <laughs> One. Okay, two. Wait, no, it's only two. <laughs> I'm top, gonna, I'm okay, gonna, give me the top three. I'm going to answer this like a politician. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first female boss after eight years in the industry was Asanda Ludidi. And she's like a dynamite, you know, in a very small package. But she, she wielded so much authentic leadership. So from her, it was just about that authentic leadership and really showing care and respect for the people that you work with. Um, I think my current CEO is quite a visionary and very bold. And I, we appreciate that about him. So I'm learning also just being bold about your beliefs as well. Um, 
you know, certain leaders have had, you know, and the importance of family as an example and family values. So I've, I've learned a lot from everyone, but I have to say I'm incredibly motivated and inspired by the women that I see shattering the glass ceiling that you want to call it now. Finally, I can see myself being reflected in, in reports, annual reports of companies. So I, I stay inspired, you know, I, I, I stay inspired. What do you think is your role in mining? Mm. Your sole purpose mm. uh, in serving the industry and, and one that you want to be known for? Sure. It's, it's a two-pronged one. One of them is definitely the representation. If you remember four years ago, the, we didn't have the, the Natashas as an example. So it's joining the ranks of those women and pulling more women up. But secondly, I think the issue of sustainability and being corporate citizens and us really championing issues of environmental protection and society and livelihoods is a big one. And if we don't manage it correctly, it might even become a risk to the industry. So it's playing a, a leading role in creating a culture of collaboration, not just within a company, but within different companies within sectors to say, with all, that, with all the resources that we have, how can we improve the livelihoods of the people um, in the societies where we exist? So for me, that's, that, that is now my overarching vision to say, how do we use the power that we have, the influence, the resources, the finances to better the lives of the people around us? So that towns like Betali, which are surrounded by mines, can thrive and we can later look back and say, these small rural towns are now this embodiment of excellence and best in schooling, healthcare, because the minds got involved with how we can make them better. Your final word to young women as we close off 2022's Women's Month. We are rooting for you. We are ready to mentor and to coach you. Um, don't doubt yourself. Greatness is already within you. You are already empowered. We just want to create the enabling environment for you to thrive. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of this wonderful session. I know that you've all taken nuggets for yourself from the session with Uno Zipo Lamini, the president of the South African Coilery Managers Association. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, share and subscribe to Deep Insights. For more mining news, visit miningreview.com. Until next time, goodbye.